Kemba, 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 you tantalizing temptress in the wonderfully tight t-shirt. Kemba, baby. Hey there, me, Kimba. Episode 26. They say it's your birthday. It's my birthday too, yeah? A special Thanksgiving Day birthday edition. And my guest, who I'll bring on momentarily, shares the birth date of November 26. We're different years, which means he has a bit of a head start. And by that, I mean in radio as well as life. And we will hear how he got started and how we met. Funny story that he doesn't remember, but I'll refresh that memory momentito. He's my birthday bud, my radio bud, and one of my best buds, Glenn Richards. Hello. Hey there. How are you? Happy birthday. (laughs) Oh, happy birthday. I figured it was episode 26. Our birthday's on the 26th. It was time. The fact that we both worked in South Florida radio for a long time. And for a while together. Yeah, which was fun. But I want to talk to you first about, because I don't even know if I know this story, how you got into radio. I mean, I see that picture of you that looks like George Harrison, but. (laughs) I know. And I was actually trying for that look. It worked. But uh, I was still blow drying my hair back then. It was before Robert from Nuclear Valdez told me to throw away my hair dryer. Okay. Was that your first foray into radio when you went to BUM or was it before that? No, that was it. Two days after graduation from Coral Gable Senior High School, I'd been music junkie, listening to the radio all the time, listening to music all the time. Different people would say, you know, you got a good voice. You should you should go into radio. You should be a DJ. And my mom even said that because I was I didn't know what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an artist. So that's what I was doing in high school was studying art. But I was spending more time planning what I wanted to listen to while I was painting. <laughs> or drawing than what I was drawing. You grew up um, in Coral Gables, but were you born there? Born in Coral Gables at Doctors Hospital at the University okay. of Miami. Always lived in Miami, lived across the street from Coral Gables. Oh, so technically I called it Coral Gables, but it's, it's like Gables. Coconut Grove. Coconut Grove, Miami. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Lejeune Road is a dividing line. Coral Gables is on one side of the street. I was on the Miami side. I lived very close to Lejeune Road. Both sides was Carroll City, or right. as we called oh, yeah. it, Carroll. Le- <laughs> further north. <laughs> We grew up in Miami, listened to radio all the time, but you went to college. Yes. I went to University of Miami. And two days after graduation, I, was, I went over there to, to see about being a DJ at WVUM. I started listening to that. And that was the first year that they were on the air during the summer. It was 1980. And they were like, well, you know, when you graduate, come see us. And I did. And that Sunday, they put me on the air. <laughs> Wait, and your mom is, was a musician, correct? Yeah, both my parents, mom and dad, professional musicians. uh, And you never had any desire or you just didn't take to it? Yeah, no. My dad always said, you can't teach your own. And (laughs) he was right. (laughs) I just didn't have the patience. Tried to teach me piano, tried to learn guitar in junior high school, tried to learn saxophone in the high school band for a semester. I liked immediate gratification. Drop a needle making music. And I play a bad kazoo. We did the next best thing. Instead of playing the actual instruments, we played the band's playing the instruments. Exactly. They put you on the air that Sunday. And yeah. did, did you immediately say, snip the tether, I'm home? Like, oh, you yeah. know, right away. Yeah. Like you, I was very shy growing up. Didn't really have a whole group of friends until the middle of high school. And they're still friends to this day, which is, you know, people think is remarkable. But radio afforded you the opportunity to kind of reinvent yourself and to be a character based on yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, And so 
I get to like do goofy things on the radio that I would never do in person in front of other people. And it seemed to be okay. We were destined to meet because we are so similar because I too have friends that I have had since high school, which apparently is unheard of. <laughs> You're at VUM. Yeah. And you're doing how many shifts? As many as I could do. I kind of followed around the, the, the music director at the time, Brad Fitzgerald, who went by Brad Fraley. <laughs> you could guess what, what kind of music he was a fan of. Work, Shock work. me. He was graduating and I wanted to be music director so bad because you, people mailed you free music. It was <laughs> awesome. They give you free music. Yes. Before it comes so out. Like, That's the gig for me. So <laughs> and you, you had to like run for the, the executive board, you know, it was completely student run program director, music director, news director, et cetera, et cetera. And so that, that spring I ran for music director and I, I won. And so I was music director for a year. It was an amazing time. I mean, ACDC's Back in Black came out. Jackson Brown, the record would come in and we were 10 Watts at the time and Brad would like open it and he'd be like, Hey, the new Jackson Brown album's here. Let's play it. <laughs> we just like throw it down, mm -hmm. play the whole thing. Did that with ACDC and got introduced to these new bands like U2 and REM, Duran Duran. I mean, it was just an amazing time to, to be discovering music. And this was like, in the case of something like Duran Duran, it was like six months before it made it to, to commercial radio. Yeah. And, and you worked. had more freedom being at the college station. Yeah. And being 10 watts and non-commercial. So we could get away with stuff like that. And it, it was a period of transition. College Media Journal it was a, a trade magazine for college radio was coming to the fore and was kind of developing its own format. College radio is a format. It was free form before that. So they would play, you know, whatever based on the taste of the DJs. It was very leftover from progressive 70s radio. Program director that came in, Glenn Hutton. I'd never met anybody else named Glenn until I went to college and then I met two of them. So anyway, we came up with the idea that everybody would have a shift three times a week. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, based on like class schedules or Tuesday, Thursday, so that the listener would have some consistency of knowing like who's on the radio at any given time. And that the more times the DJ's on the radio, you would have more chance to, to gain experience and, and get better. And not only you can't get better if you're not on a lot, but also even if you're on a lot, but no one's... You know, you, were, you depend on the upperclassmen to, to right. Somebody's give you telling tips you. and stuff like that. Yeah. But I mean, we were completely independent. We had an advisor who was a faculty member there, and he would just like be there to advise us legal issues because we ran underwriting, things we could do and not do on the radio because of our commercial... Uh, non-commercial radio status and things like that. But as far as like directing us, it was all up to the students. So if we ran the thing into a ditch, we ran it into a ditch. <laughs> then we, they went up to 300 watts and now you can hear them into Broward County. For some reason, you've never heard VUM. Or I'll, I'll give a shout out to the KPX in Broward, 88.5, 90.5. You know, if you've never given them a shot and just listened to them, it's kind of cool. Yeah, there were times where I thought they were doing a better job than we were. We were a little too free form. They had more hands on, Helene Bloom. And I have to give a shout out to Blackout. He put out a song for Thanksgiving and it became somewhat of a cult classic. I ain't got no turkey. You ain't got no turkey. We ain't got no turkey. Where the hell is turkey? I totally remember that now. Yeah. <laughs> that was a fun show to listen to. I, yeah, I started working at Peaches in North Miami. Mm -hmm. Again, had to be around music somehow. And then when the South Miami store opened, I was on the, the team that opened that. Okay. So I worked there for at the same time that I was in school, you know, trying to help pay for, for classes and things. I mean, so it was like going back and forth. And then 
I ran for program director of the radio station and I didn't get it. And I remember I didn't deserve it, but I was really pissed off at the time. <laughs> I'll show them. It, it was the time when, when K102 was like doing their Rock of the 80s thing. Rock of the 80s. What a great radio station that yeah, was. Yeah. And, and Ruby Cheeks was on the air and Ruby would break the rules. She played a song that I thought we only played on VUM or that we even knew about. Plastique Bertrand, S'appelait pour moi. The English version is uh, Jet Boy, Jet Girl. It was like a big club uh, underground club hit thing. I heard her play it and I called and I started talking to Ruby, told her what I wanted to do. She encouraged me to send her tapes, give me tips. After about six months, they had a position open. And so I applied for it like, you know, weekends and I didn't get it. I was just too young. He was like, you know, you, you gotta, there are things that you can only learn from working. You can't learn this stuff. You can't, mm -hmm. you know, teach this stuff. And I'm like, oh yeah, I love to mimic what I heard on the radio, you would hear their song and you would like pretend to be the DJ talking up the ramp of the song or whatever. And I didn't even know what that was called at the time, you know, and hitting the post and all that kind of stuff. So I would go back and do that on VUM, freaked everybody out. Why are you sounding like you're on WSHE? Well, because I want to be on WSHE. <laughs> and I just recorded everything and put together another demo and turned it in and they hired me program director, this is like later, it was like months later. He was like, I, I don't know how you did it, what you did, but you, you did <laughs> but you, all the things I said to do, hired me to do weekends. And at that point I was on academic probation and <laughs> I needed something else to do because I was just spending all my time at the radio station. My, I had like checked out. How long were you at K102 before you went over? Till they got sold to Sconics Broadcasting, and I lasted about six months under the new regime. The GM, for some reason, had something up his butt against me because I was just, I didn't fit in. And I, you know, he saw me at that promotion and, and quote, was wearing weird sunglasses, Wayfarer sunglasses, weird sunglasses. Do they put that on your uh, termination form? Fire, reason, Wayfarers, weird no. sunglasses. Success is the sweetest revenge. Oh, sure. Started sending tapes to she and, and talking to Michael D'Alfonso, the program director. And he said, we don't have anything now. I'll keep your tape on hand. And if something opens up, I'll let you know. And I kept checking in periodically. And there was mm -hmm. like, yeah, nothing. Sorry. But, and I thought he was like, everybody says that, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now he meant it a year later. And he was like, hey, we got an opening. And I got hired to do weekends. Following Paul Castronovo on Saturday nights, he was doing that. He was Saturday doing a Saturday night, night party. Yeah. So what year is this approximately? 86 is when I started working there. The Saturday night party on She, it was 103 songs in a row on Saturday night by request. And he really would play requests. I don't know how much. There was like open slots where you could. Exactly. The She Saturday night party was a big deal. Yeah, it was great. VUM 80 yeah. to 83 and then K102 83 to 85. Okay. Ish, and then she in '86 till until that's when I went back to uh, University of Miami. I you went, I went back. back to college. I had about mm -hmm. two years left on my degree, and I always meant to go back and finish it. And I went and met with the dean. He said, "Well, if you start this fall, I'll accept your grades from before. Start as a junior and have two years to finish." Now, in between that time, so '93 to '94. I don't remember what it was. It was some event at 1235. Saigon Kick were there. That's and I remember on South Beach, yeah. Phil Barone. We were talking about how I was let go from she and what was I going to do now? And this was summer. And I said, I have absolutely no idea. I was 
thinking about going back to school at the time, but I didn't have a clue. It was Phil very flippantly said, well, why don't you come on the road with us? Sell t-shirts. I was like, I remember when you did that. I don't know how to do that. That was 93? No big deal. Yeah. And then they broke up in Boston, like several dates left on the the tour. But I mean, I got to see parts of the country that I would never have gotten to see before. And I was not a real good tour uh, merchandiser, I will say. (laughs) I will be honest. I think Aaron and would uh, attest to that. <laughs> I learned a lot, fun getting to know the, the crew and experience what that was like, riding on a tour bus, sleeping on a tour bus, waking up in another city. Yeah, then went back to University of Miami in 94 and was there, 90, uh, graduated in 96. Well, we're going to backtrack just a little before we get back to VU. And we met, the story of how we met, which I okay. know you told me you don't remember, but uh, I do. You know, but I don't remember the year, but now that the more this is, the more we're talking and given the year you went on the road with Saigon, we had known each other for a while at that point. It was definitely a good Sid King show at Churchill's. And there was one where Marilyn Manson opened and it was April of 1990. And yeah. I saw the flyer for that. So it may have very well been that show. The goods played there a lot again in like 93, 94, but by then we already knew each other. So it's got to be that 1990 show. I certainly had heard of you. I was dating a colleague at the time, or as I like to call him, an unforced error. Um, and I was there with him. He'll, he was elsewhere when I met you. I, I don't know who introduced us, but I do remember we were standing like in between the pool table and the bar. Front half of the of the place. Of Churchill's, yeah. We were chatting. And if you haven't noticed by now, Glenn is very, your whole demeanor is like you are now. You're just very, you're always very laid back and very subtle. That said, all of a sudden you look over in the, like where the stage is in front of the stage area. And you said, I don't remember the exact words, but it was something like either look at that guy, what an, and I look over and there's unforced error doing the pogo dance in front of the stage. (laughs) So you're like, you know, look at that guy. Like you were just like, what an idiot. And I went, oh, <laughs> I totally, I don't know who he is. Or I'd come here with him, no. <laughs> it was one of many, many, many red flags that I should have paid attention to. Would have saved me a whole lot of time. <laughs> well, then we, would, we were always at a lot of the same shows, so we would see each other. When you joined VUM, you said it was 94. Did you start the local show right away? They already had a local show. I got to do the local show at WSHE in 1990, fell in my lap. It was unbelievably cool. And and what was that one called? Locals Only or something? What was th- yeah, I think they've all been Locals Only. You know, I was friends with Nuclear Valdez. And I, I mean, I worked with them, Juan Diaz, the bass player at Peaches, which was an incredible store. So many local musicians worked there. I mean, Raul from the Mavericks, mm-hmm. uh, Jose Tian from Forget the Name. It was it was nuts. With the, the Nukes record coming out, and I was trying to get the radio station to play them. I, I don't know how it happened. And then, you know, Saigon got, got signed and all that until um, they fired. They fired you, and uh, that wasn't for weird sunglasses. That was something else entirely. No, that was, uh, that was Ernesto Gladden. Oh, I remember uh, that that name. Oh my God, what a He piece was of well work. loved by <laughs> the whole staff over there. God, he was every program director that got hired. I, I felt like I could just kind of like fly under the radar and figure them out uh, before they, they, you know, the eye of Mordor turned to me. Mm-hmm. He had many other fish to fry. But for some reason, that very first staff meeting, I'm like, I don't remember who I turned to. I was like, I'm not going to survive this guy. Yeah. Not going to make it. <laughs> and I did not. He was just 
awful. Again, it ended up working out, but you worked for the iconic radio station. That is she, which uh, by the way, there are so many listeners that think I worked at she and Zeta or just she, which I always take very much as a compliment because of how well loved she was. You ended up being able to go on the road with a rock band, which was kind of cool. And you ended up, which you wouldn't have done if you were still at she, and you ended up going back to school and then you took over the local show there. Yeah. It just, things fell into place. Yeah, it was good. So I went back to college, able to focus like a laser beam on that. I I made the president's list my first semester back. I'm like, I didn't know there was a president's list. (laughs) Worked my GPA up to the point that I could take over and run the radio station, you know, be general manager. Oh, so you went you said, yeah, I'll take your program director that you denied me and up it to general manager. Thank you right. very much. I managed to get an amendment passed th- through the student body, through uh, elections to increase the percentage of the student activity fee that WVUM received so that we could get new equipment, oversaw the start of construction of new studios. Roy Pressman built them. Roy! Roy started a, an alumni week that they still do and invited like 30 plus alumni back to do radio shows for homecoming. Learned a lot. Dream come true. So I ran into the program director for, for Zeta at a divorce party. I, it was bizarre. I don't even, we had a, some mutual friend, obviously, and struck up a conversation with him. I had just graduated and he was like, well, what are you going to do now? I said, I don't know. Start looking for a new gig sending out tapes and stuff. He goes, well, call me. <laughs> I waited a day and I called him on Tuesday and he's like, why'd you wait so long? Why do you, I expect you to call me yesterday. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Oops. So he invited me in. I didn't even give him a demo tape. I just met with him and he's like, so what do you want to do? And I, we talked and he said, well, you want to start this weekend? Okay. Do you want to do one or two shifts? Two? Boom. Uh, so I was back on the air on Zeta Never worked there before doing weekend shift. I forget who was the promotion director at the time was leaving. And so I asked the program director if there was any extra work that I could do. He came to me and said, remember you said if there was any extra stuff. And I'm like, yeah. He goes, how would you like to be promotion director? I don't know. Never done that. Don't know what's involved in it. He goes, why don't you shadow the promotion director the current that we've got? He's going to be leaving. And and then let me know. Uh, He said, take like three days. So after the first day, I was ready. And I said, yeah, I'll do this. And he goes, no, take all three days and then let me know. And so I became promotion director. That's quite the different story for me with that same said individual. Because when I was trying to do middays or music director or afternoons and assistant program director, I was always told, no, you wouldn't like it. Not, hey, why don't you try it for a couple of days and see how that fits? <laughs> I was, no, you won't like it. I don't know. I, you know, maybe it's the vagina. I have no idea. Oh, it's 100% that. You know, yeah. well, like, you know, well, like Phil and Saigon, you know, I mean, what? it's not like I was pursuing them like, hey, I, I know you guys are going out on tour. Or you need a tour. Market. And I understand that. But I'm just saying that's the opportunities like that are yeah. just different. You do remember my nickname for you, don't you? The Schmooze King. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> you do. You know everybody. And and also, my other nickname for you was my Rolodex. Because <laughs> uh, you would people would come up and be talking to us, and they'd walk away and be like, who was that, and how do I know them? <laughs> and you'd always, oh, that's so-and-so, who's friends with so-and-so, and met at so-and-so. And, right. My other nickname uh, was Promo Sapien. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right. records from record people. You did promotions director, but then somehow you merged into being the producer for the morning show. I was burning out. My first real adult job in radio, diving in 100%. And they, they would like come to me and I'd be in my cubicle and I'd just be there forever mm-hmm. working on stuff. 
it'll be there in the morning. Go home. It really hit home when Planet did a meet and greet with Ringo Starr. And I didn't take the opportunity to go along because I had to stay and I had a lot of work I needed to do. What? Yeah. That's Idiot. crazy. In Idiot. fact, you know, this, this episode is named in your honor because you're such a Beatles fan that I chose, they say it's your birthday. Yeah. It's my birthday well, too. Yeah. That was a wake up call. I was, at, you know, when I saw the, yes, I saw the photos of them all with Ringo and I'm like, what am I doing? But all they have is and, a photograph. Yeah. Right. And um, <laughs> thank you. Good night. Everything's Mike drop. The he who shall not be named gave me two really excellent pieces of advice. One of them uh, was work smarter, not harder, which, you know, that's a common phrase, but I never heard it before. So that in combination with the like, it'll be on your desk in the morning, go home. <laughs> I'm surprised this saying wasn't just steal stuff from other people yeah, and use it. <laughs> and that I was able to just transition into a different department and do a different gig. It was really good that you were able to come in as a part-time and then you got this full-time promotions gig and then you got the producer for the morning show and you were able to do that for a while. And then that parlayed into you being the producer with Julie. Yeah. Well, over at um, Coast, right? Soon, so soon. I burned out working for Paul. Um, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> uh, and I'm, you know, is growing pains. I was learning how to do the gig and, you know, Paul's not the easiest person to direct. Ron was interesting challenge to work with, but uh, I learned a lot and got a, a lot of great opportunities, had an incredible staff of interns who are by and large working, a lot of them working professionally around the country. Oh, cool. um, so we had a really good time. Mm-hmm. Um and I felt really good years later when I would tune in to, to the show and I'd hear Paul doing, just automatically doing the things that it, it was like breaking my balls to try to get him to do that. It was on the right track with, with them. It just my approach, I didn't develop the right people skills, you know, management skills and stuff to gotcha. deal with that. So I was burning out again, working too many hours and then got unceremoniously escorted from the, the building. Oh, like yes. Yes. And I, I did that walk. Yeah. That program director called me into his office and uh, like the HR person was there and I knew it was going on. I was like begging to be fired in my head for like, months and then I'd be jumping and then it'd be like, why are you jumping? Well, you told me to jump. Well, stop jumping. We want you to sit. And I'd sit and they'd be like, why are you sitting? It's like, well, you told me to sit. Well, jump. Yeah. <laughs> it was like that kind of like. Yeah. Mind. For for some of us, he was just a continuation of what was already there. And that first guy for a lot of people gave you great opportunity. There's a few other people that gave their first job, but most of us have nothing but horror stories about both of them. It's just evil. They were trying to get me to quit. And mm-hmm. I was not well, going to Yeah, quit. that's the reason. Yeah. Yeah. I was not going to quit. He You're too called legit me into to quit. his called me into his office and I was so happy. I was so like relieved because yeah. I was working so much I didn't have time to look for another gig because I was so busy booking the show for like the next day or right. the day after that. It was like insane. Jump what year on, was like, that that you got let go? So that was 2003. Oh, so it was only a year after me. And I vowed that my next gig, I, w- I set the bar lower. When you like give 110% and then back off to 105%, you're a slacker. <laughs> yeah. It's the people who put in the, the most work that they, they expect the most from. And the people right. who come in and don't do anything, they're like, well, yeah, that's how they are. I'm like, what? <laughs> how does that work? Again, I fell into that. I'm really lucky. 
I heard about that position, met with them. It was one of those top secret meeting things. One of those restaurants on on A1A yeah. on, uh, in Hollywood. I was told that it was going to be a new morning show, but I wasn't told who until like they showed up. And I'm like, oh, it's Julie Guy. Oh, you start. So you started with them right from the beginning. Right from the beginning. One of those deals where give us a figure. And I like write it down on paste paper and handed it to them. And it was twice as much of like what I was getting at, right. at what I should have been getting based on the morning show boot camps that I was attending with Paul and Ron and that they wanted to get me, but wasn't happening. Wasn't happening. Put forth this number and they were like, okay, <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. Right. Quick aside, the promotion director gig, I was replaced with two people. I kept begging for an assistant. Same thing with morning show producer. I was begging for an assistant and got replaced with two people. How long were you at the Coast Morning Show? Two thousand two years, 2003 to 2005. Okay. And got let go for no discernible reason. Going in a different direction, we don't need your services anymore. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I think they realized they were paying me too much money. But were um, they paying you too much money? I don't think so. There you go. When I was there which was 2010 to 2013, the morning show had no producer. Okay. It it was the two hosts. And I think after you left, I don't know that they ever put anyone in that position. They might've had interns that would come in and help them do stuff, but I don't think they had a a bona fide producer of their show after you left. We had this choice where we could have complete freedom to book the guests that we wanted to book, but we had to follow their rules, how many songs we had to play. Or we could like play less songs, but they would be in total control of the kind of guests that we would book. And we opted for the control of the guests. Oh, sure. You know, most interviews are like seven minutes. You get Sylvester Stallone for seven minutes. Mm -hmm. We didn't have time to play that because we had to, you know, stick to the number of songs. You had to have the number of songs. So you ended up having these little tiny, short, minute long interviews. Yes. So we'd have Sylvester Stallone all morning long. (laughs) You know, just keep, hey, hang with us for five songs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like a question, a response. More will Sylvester Stallone coming up, you know, (laughs) and we'd just be like on the phone hanging out with us all morning long. We made use of everything, even with the constraints that we had. Yeah. You know, we got creative with it and it was it was fun. Huge compliment. Interviewed Doris Roberts Mm -hmm. um, and she called us back after the interview to thank us. She had so much fun. Oh, good. After that, is that when you moved up? Because yeah, you left us. You left South Florida. Yeah, I was seeing someone at the time, my ex, decided like, you know what? I'm just going to take the summer off. We'll plan the wedding. We'll get married. And then I'll look for a gig in the fall. And that didn't work out. (laughs) Neither (laughs) did the marriage. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was there for that. That ended amicably as as well. I decided to go to graduate school, which was weird because that's what she had been thinking of doing. Mm -hmm. I ended up being the one going to graduate graduate school. school. I had started teaching at the University of Miami as an adjunct. My old radio advisor had contacted me about teaching a radio production and performance class. It was like a three-hour lab on Mondays. So I would teach these students about microphones and about consoles and and all that kind of stuff and the ins and outs of radio. And then at the end of the semester, their project was the PSA they recorded, the commercial they would have recorded, you know, like the projects all semester long, program an hour of radio and host it. I'd never thought about teaching before And that kind of wet my whistle. And I met somebody else in the industry 
who was also teaching at the University of Miami and teaching um, full-time, we shared stories, you know, war stories. And he had worked in television in Orlando. And the same thing, you know, gotten fired, got another gig, got fired, got another gig. And finally, he decided to go back, get his degree. And that made me just kind of a light went on. I was like, wow, you know, I probably need something to fall back on. And this teaching thing is not that bad. And it'd be kind of cool. My goal was to teach at the University of Miami. That didn't work out. Closest thing to what I wanted to, to do was at the University of Florida. So I came up to Gainesville and started doing that and working at the rock station on campus, which was a very highly unusual commercial radio station mm-hmm. staffed by students, run by professionals. But that's just the kind of license they had from 1934. One thing led to another and Started teaching as an adjunct there, teaching history of rock and roll and American society. I took the class and the professor asked me if I wanted to take it for the summer. Sure, why not? Yeah. And then he's like, uh, well, do you want to like just keep teaching it? Sure. So I did that as a graduate assistant position for like two years. And now I'm back doing it for the last two years. Being able to, to do radio and teach all the trivia that I'd collected in my head for all these years and share it with. with yes. You know, yeah. Know. Glenn has the, the, the good rock and roll history. Like he can tell you album titles and all that stuff. I have the useless information trivia. <laughs> that's, that's what's in my brain. Hey, a, lot of this is, a lot of this is useless too, but it's uh it's so fun geeking out with, with students who are also geeking out about music. You're also working. So you're teaching there. Uh, so he's in, you're in Gainesville. When did you move up there? I remember helping you pack. I just that was 2006. Remember. Wow, has it been that long? Yeah. Whoa. All right. No, crazy. So, and, and I still, I still haven't finished my degree. You still? Oh, I thought you said you still haven't finished unpacking. <laughs> so, oh, sure. Oh, well, that's true too. That's true. You can't see the boxes in the back. But, <laughs> oh, so um, you're working on the degree, but now you're also working at public radio as well. Yeah. So the uh, commercial rock station they changed format to country. Did that for a while, working nights, country format. And then an opportunity came up to work at the non-commercial station, the, the NPR affiliate. And I'd been volunteering during their pledge drives, doing middays and helping them out with announcing and stuff. And they liked me and they encouraged me to apply. And I did and I got it. I'm operations coordinator and now morning host, local host for Morning Edition. I've been doing that for six years. I found out after he passed away, Drew Townsend. Drew Townsend. One of my mentors, just listening to him on the radio at WSHE, but he had gone back to his original name, Drew Mello. I had so much fun with him. He's another one I used to call because I used to, you know, as a listener, I used to call the radio station too. Like you said, you did, you would call and talk to Ruby and I would call him one time I called and he answered the phone and I just said, play Misty for me. That's all I said. And there was like a half beat and he went, Kimba. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how he knew. That's hilarious. I know. Um, you know, what? when I went for my job interview at WSHE with Michael D'Alfonso, mm-hmm. I was so bummed out because I went, you know, WSHE, man, she's only rock and roll. Yeah. And here's Michael D'Alfonso. I'd never, you know, there was no internet, so you didn't know what these people looked like. Looked like, yep. And he's like wearing a tie. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> What's up with that? 
Yeah. And, you know, but I mean, on the radio and, and I should have like picked up and, and, and I did learn in just that idea of persona that you are on the air, but I mean, he's like the program director, so he's got to be in business attire, but that was a shocker. You know? Yeah. And people, like you were saying, people think you worked at she, people think I worked at GTR. Mm-hmm. Elton John at the Sportatorium, that was the night that GTR went on the air. And they were doing an Elton John concert replay. And I was going back to the radio station because I was on the air after midnight. I'm like hearing them. and Oh, God. Herman and McBean had jumped ship. Tanaglia, John Tanaglia had taken the staff to Marco Island, I, I think, for like a big celebration because of the ratings. And they left early because they came back to Fort Lauderdale and bulk erased all their stuff. And they were gone. I remember sitting there thinking to myself, we, we need to respond to this. And they just like, oh, stay the course, stay the course. Well, I remember the night they went off the air because they went off at seven, which is when I went on. And they were playing Man in the Mirror because they switched to Coast. And my phone's just lit up, calling me, asking me what happened to GTR. And they're listeners. I know they're upset. So I'm, I don't know what happened. But then I was, you know, hanging up the phone going, because <laughs> yeah. well because there were three of us and we knew somebody was going to get squeezed out oh. i always say about gtr it's not i don't even think it's so much the music that they played so much i give almost 100 percent of gtr success to scott chapin who he and whoever helped branded that station yeah you know, the rock and roll animal and you know the monkey playing the guitar and just the way scott would do the the promos their imaging and their branding was so i think it was integral to their success the world's first all compact disc radio station they weren't right. they there's stuff that wasn't we knew there wasn't on compact disc that they were playing but genius and they just came in with an image and a this is what we were the rock and roll animal you know and they had a plan and she mm-hmm. had no plan Right. The USH had no plan, you know, and then they started mucking around with the logo and I'm like, oh, you guys, we've covered all the radio stuff and why you're in Gainesville now and all that. But I just want to mention a few things because I, I just remember this one incident. <laughs> it's a lot of incidents. You know, we've, we had a lot of incidents, but this one in particular, you know, when you hear a song that comes out that you love and you just cannot hear it enough, you just want to hear it over and over and over again. It's yeah. just like, ah, this is such a great song. Oh, my God. I know for a fact this happened around February 15th, 1994, because that's when the song was released. Button South, which still breaks my heart that it's a strip club now. It was a strip club around four in the morning, too. <laughs> Sometimes. Yes. In any case. I worked there, too, by the way. For, uh, <laughs> I know you did. That's where I'm getting to. So it was a great venue to see bands. And there was a time when the westernmost part of the club, which was like a little raised up by a couple steps, was closed off and made into the alternative cafe. Right. That's well. where I DJed. The reason I know the date is because that's when Spoon Man from Soundgarden was released. And I just loved that song, possibly because it's the only rock song that has a spoon solo. I don't know. But it, <laughs> I love the song. You are crazy for spoons. I know. Artist the Spoon Man. So I remember I walked in, I walk right up to you and I said, I say hi. And then I'm like, I want to hear Spoon Man. And I don't know if I said every half hour, every hour. And you're like, okay. In your very subtle way that you do, your laid back subtle way. And damn it, if you did not play it every single hour, like for hours. It would because I remember you. It would come on again, and I'd, I'd start laughing, thinking somebody in this bar is going to notice that he's playing Spoonman over and over again. I'm being facetious about it, and you're like, "Oh, you do, do you?" <laughs> I'll see your request and raise you. <laughs> Once we did meet Fateful Night at Churchill's, we ended up going out all the time. 
somewhere along the line, and I know it took a few years. So let's say we met met in 90. It was a couple of years before we realized we had the same birthday. And we didn't know that right away. No, I guess not. And probably too, because it is Thanksgiving, it never came up because everyone's always busy and doing Thanksgiving. And then finally we realized, oh my God, we have the same birthday. So we started going, there's that epic 1994 was when we hit, we went to reunion room and squee. Plus five lounge. Plus five lounge. Fast forward to 1995. And by now, oh, we knew him for several years. We knew a guy by the name of Adam Gaynor. Mm-hmm. He has the same birthday. Again, we're all different years, November 26th. So we decide to all go out to dinner together at the melting pot in North Miami Beach. Some of you had significant others. I had another unforced error. You had a lot of unforced errors. <laughs> Just put my racket away. My share of unforced errors as well. It was at that dinner that Adam tells us that he's moving to Orlando to join a band. And I remember, I'm like looking at you like, he's going to Orlando to join a band. Because that was the time when all these bands in South Florida were getting signed. I'm of the attitude, he's going to Orlando to join a band? Yeah, good luck with that, was my thought. Thinking they're all getting signed here. Why is he going up to the middle of nowhere to get signed? And that band ended up being? Matchbox 20. Oops. There, is that another unforced error? No, no that, was, that was amazing. We'd seen them before they were Matchbox 20, though. You see, you remember that, and I don't. That it was a Jammies Awards uh, in Orlando yeah. I have when they were still that, yeah. Tabitha's Secret. Never heard of them before, and I left the show a Tabitha's Secret fan. They were incredibly good. We went up to, for the Jammies in 94, and we took a side trip to Universal. There's a one great shot. It's at Universal, and it's down that street that the Blues Brothers perform. And you're on one side of the door, and I'm on the other. But the hysterical part is... You're wearing like lighter clothing and this sunbeam is coming down and hitting you. And I'm on the other side wearing all black and I'm in the shadow. And that's us. (laughs) (laughs) Bright and sunshiny. And me. I I wanted to say about Adam, he was going to be here joining us just to say happy birthday. He was unable to, you know, rock stars. (laughs) He he wanted to. No, he wanted to. And he was unable to. But he he promised that he will be on the show at a later time. Well, I remember we did a, uh, they did a gig at the uh, Hard Rock Cafe in Miami. Mm-hmm. That might have been an album release thing or something. And then they played a sold out show at Sunrise where we have that group shot in the sold out show. And uh, I that just, was a great shot. Of, uh, like all of us. Yeah. Yeah. The thing I remember most about that show is that at the end of the show, Rob said from the stage, Kimbo, we love you. And everybody was like, <gasps> and I was like, because that's the first time I got a shout out. I think it's the only time I got a shout out from the stage. But whenever you like, you see yourself, I was telling Elias this from Nonpoint, their CD was the first that I was ever in the liner note. One of the first anyway. But for me, the person who plays the bad kazoo and has loved music as much as I love music to see myself written as a thank you in an album is cool. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think that's why Brian Chris didn't want to play Nuclear Valdez because I was <laughs> thanked in the liner notes. <laughs> And he was pissed off. When when Saigon Kick came along, he like latched onto them and he was going to make them stars. And I was in their lineups too. I wanted to just say happy birthday to all the other people. Good friend of mine from high school, Norman Wass. He was a year ahead of me at Gables. Both ended up working at WVUM together. Did a birthday show together because his birthday is November 26th. We'll give Gina a shout out. Her birthday's on the 16th, but she's in a lot of the pictures that you'll see if you watch the vodcast version of this. You know, she right. went to the jammies with us and was we always celebrated our birthdays together because they were so close. There's Lupe, who I used to work with 
November 26th, also Jamie, who I used to work with. Okay. My best friend's husband, Steve. Another best friend, mom. Her name's Jan. And when I moved to Gainesville and and got into the local music scene up here, it did a local music show on rock104.com. Dave Rome of Radon, great Gainesville punk band. His birthday is November 26th. I have a bunch of friends that are on either side too. 25th or 27th. So all I can say is Valentine's Day worked out for a lot of people. (laughs) And Sagittarians rule. I'll just mention that one of the things Glenn and I do as a tradition usually is send each other birthday cards. And we we are lovers of pun. We've had some epic pun offs, which we won't do now because we will just, it will be here tomorrow. There's one out in front of the Button South that I remember Gina. That's the one, the Button South. Just oh, it, I I was impressed with myself because you are the the pun meister. Um, I'm <laughs> good and mine are terrible and they're bad, but you keep coming up with them. Like when I've exhausted everything, <laughs> you've still got more. I don't know how. The other epic one I remember was at the field. We were sitting outside, and there were people who had never experienced that that before, and they initially they were joining in, and then they were just kind of sitting back, like okay. <laughs> We're going to let those two have at it. So our birthday cards are usually, one you sent me has a bunch of cats on the outside. And then when you open it, it says on the card, felines, nothing more than felines. (laughs) But you wrote, let's cats up soon. (laughs) I like the one you sent this year. Yours is probably not arrived yet because I'm notoriously late. But I have one that you made me. You made it at Eckerd Drugs. (laughs) <laughs> it has Ren and Stimpy on it, and you put my name on it. Remember, you could make those custom. You were crazy for Ren and Stimpy. Yes, and it's, you know, happy, happy, joy, joy. But you wrote the custom customized thing that you wrote. Happy birthday to one of the greatest DJs in the world from the other one. <laughs> lots of puns, lots of puns that we've had over the years. I'm, I'm so glad that we were able to sort of celebrate this year again. I know. This is how most people are celebrating even Thanksgiving, right. as, it, as it were. So uh, thank you. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> I appreciate welcome. it. Um, I, I, I miss hanging out, not just because of COVID, but because I usually make it down there for a musical event. Less now that my significant other has moved up here. I know. But, um, you both left me. Yeah. Are you going to show that photo? The three of us back the three in the day? Of, I can. Yeah. And then we recreated it yes. years later. Churchill's. So. And that's full circle because that's where we met. You can see those pictures as well as many more. The vodcast can be found at youtube.com slash herkimba. I'll talk to you soon. Great. I miss you. I love you. And love you happy birthday. You say it's your birthday. It's my birthday too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Glenn Richards. Happy birthday again to all the aforementioned. Hope you have a fantastic Thanksgiving holiday weekend in spite of it being 2020. Thank you so much for being one of Kimba's Herd. And thanks for listening to me, Kimba. Radio broadcast episode 26. They say it's your birthday. This is on the radio.